I know what you are. Say it out loud. Say it. Review two. Hello and welcome to Law My Praxis. This week we are speaking with Dr. Maria McLennan, lecturer in jewellery and silversmithing at Edinburgh College of Art and the world's first forensic jeweller, so says the website. And maybe <laughs> the most tattooed academic. And maybe, maybe. the most tattooed academic. I, I think we just lean into it. Like, I like yeah. that. Let's go with the that. The yeah. is thrown yeah. down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll see who comes in. Uh, I only have two so it's not me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Maria's research concerns forensic and criminal uses of jewellery and focuses on the value of design. Her interdisciplinary work has taken her all across the globe and has recently seen her collaborating with forensic investigations focused on identifying the lost lives of migrants travelling on the particularly treacherous route between Turkey and the north of Greece. You may have seen or heard Maria on one of the many, many national TV shows or radio programmes that she has um, taken part of in the last couple of years, including BBC Crime Watch, uh, Crime Watch, Crime Watch, uh, Crime Watch, <laughs> in which she appeared as an expert, not a suspect, uh, Radio 4 and the BBC. She has been profiled by the Financial Times, The Times and BBC World News. And now she has this career highlight of appearing on lol my praxis welcome to the podcast maria we're delighted to have you here you're welcome i mean we, like we know how we are in that kind of hierarchy of uh media outlets and we know that we are career defining some would say absolutely absolutely well i've i've listened to a few episodes and i've heard many other um individuals that have featured you know claiming that it's just turned their academic career trajectory you know on its on its head like they've they've got book deals they've got like multi-million right. research grants it's yeah. just yeah it's so, phenomenal um, really we are yeah. thanks in advance for for that <laughs> you're welcome we look forward we, we do to all of your can. success and claiming it as our own <laughs> <laughs> you can have a tiny slice of my humble pie i'm sure i'll yeah. share <laughs> And unlike other institutions, we won't celebrate your success and then fire you. So that's good. Um, <laughs> good. Well, I'm not employed by you, so I'm not sure you can. Oh, well, fire that's me. what you think. But yeah, <laughs> we have ways. Like, we're actually we have, really, we have really in there. <laughs> um, really influential. Um, some would call us academic influencers. Some would. Some would. Some being me. <laughs> um, so I was. Just to start off, like I know we will go straight into the methodology because the big the, the thing that I forget to do. But what is a forensic jeweler? You are the first and the mm. most tattooed forensic jeweler. So, <laughs> what, what is a forensic jeweler? What, what does that do? Yeah, what do you do? Is, is it like because I've seen like the TV? You have you ever seen the TV show Bones, where it's like a forensic anthropologist and she studies bones? So do you study bones but like diamonds instead? Is that the vibe? That's probably a pretty good comparison, although I get I get the sort of bones, at least I think it's bones. There's a sort of goth forensic anthropologist type character in a TV show. Is, is that bones? Um, I've never actually seen it, but um, I get this comparison a lot. And then I always have to remind people that I'm actually a real person. I exist and she doesn't so <laughs> make the comparison the other way around. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's, that's, that's a fairly good comparison, I think. Um, in terms of like what, what is a forensic jeweler and methodology and all of that, this is probably the best place to admit that, you know, I'm a complete charlatan. I have no idea really what I'm doing most of the 
Um, I'm kind of making it up as I go along, aren't we all? Um, but yeah, I've somehow landed myself working in like fields of forensics, crime scenes, disaster zones, uh, mortuaries around the globe. Um, and I trained as a jewellery designer. <laughs> so that's been a funny old uh yeah really kind of interesting journey over the last sort of 10 years or so mm. um but but yeah I essentially study jewelry that's recovered with human remains or um recovered at a crime scene um circumstantial evidence or maybe you know the traceability back to provenance or point of purchase and looking for some kind of clue as to the person's identity so uh so yeah it's it's very very unscientific way of doing forensics <laughs> so, like is it is it as exciting as it sounds or is it a lot of cataloging <laughs> there's a heck of a lot of cataloging yeah yeah <laughs> um it's a huge part of it but um I find that stuff like geekily interesting as well thankfully um it's 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 sort of I don't know the, the jeweler in me likes inventories and photographs and kind of labeling and numbering and organizing but but you know yeah there are days where I'm not sitting behind like the academic you know library or computer screen or a stuffy old book I am quite literally in a morgue um at a crime scene you know kind of Tyvek suits and gloves and uh lab coats so there is that sort of sexy CSI element that I think probably pops into everyone's head but which I love because even CSI is also just like boring right <laughs> not <laughs> not as into it completely dismissed anything I again people may now start to understand I love crime dramas and crime shows big fan of CSI not so fan of uh, CSI Miami not as good um but the memes though But the yeah, but the meme is great. The meme is, is killer. Yeah. But even that again is just like cataloging lots of like minutia and paying attention to the small details. Like is that is that an aspect then that kind of really filters into the kind of the focus on on jewelry? Why why jewelry specifically? Like is there is there a kind of is jewelry like a subcategory of a of a wider range of like forensic object study? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, well, for me, kind of coming coming into forensics from jewellery, my inevitable interest is is jewellery and gemstones right. and shiny things. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing I like is that it's like a real bridge between, um, you know, the personal, idiosyncratic, the, the religious or cultural, um, the historical, all the things that kind of make us human beings can kind of be embodied in our jewellery in some way. It's like a little narrative prompt. Um, you know, even I'm sure if user wearing some jewellery, you would be able to point it and say, oh, I got it here, or it was a gift, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, that's from that crap ex-boyfriend, but I still wear the jewellery. Um, <laughs> there's always some story to it, you know, and um, it's sort of about, like, trying to capitalise on that kind of information and insight and then bring that over into a forensic context. Because mm -hmm. circumstantially, you know, in terms of building up a victimology or a narrative or a sense of who that person was, um, their networks, their relationships, that's super important. Um, so, yeah, we can, like, forensically study objects and look at the physical object, but we mm -hmm. can also study all the kind of cool 
narrative stuff that surrounds it. So super mm. interested in all that kind of sounds kind of wanky when I describe I mean, it like that. But, you you're know, talking to two people who study narrative, so we love we love a bit of narrative. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yours at least has a practical application. Um, hey, hey, poetry is going to yeah. save the environment, Louise. Yeah, you're definitely going to save the environment. And Just I'm you watch. Neurodiversify the world. Yeah, it's totally going to happen. I have every faith, every faith. Praxis is forever. How did you go from the jewellery stuff to this forensic stuff? Like, like literally, how did you... Did, did some sort of investigator... Like, I'm just imagining like a walkie talkie, like, I need a jeweler stat. Like, is that what happened? Like, like how? how? Yeah, it's like me and me and Dan Brown running around Fife, like, just looking for the next. She called just. Oh my God. Um, Did you hear Jesus had a daughter? Spoilers. <laughs> um, was she wearing any jewelry, though? Oh, maybe a cross. <laughs> Would that be weird? <laughs> Maybe, or I don't know, like a yeah. pagan. Would you wear an object to remind you of how your father died? Like the literal really, method of killing your dad. Questions. <laughs> well, maybe she was a bit of a goth as well. That would be like wow. the ultimate, like goth vibes. Um, it's like yeah. um, the, my favorite, like ultimate goth vibes is the whole um, Mary Shelley thing, the losing oh, the virginity God, yeah. on the tombstone of your mom. But, <laughs> or your your ma as we say in scotland um yeah (laughs) um what was the question again i've totally Um, regressed i think it was very important and professional question yeah um how did your work intersect with dan brown you brought him up but let's that's that's (laughs) (laughs) no the question was how did you get into forensic jewelry like at what point was was it a thing of like you just kind of hanging out outside the lab outside the like, police station be like anyone need any help or yeah did you get a call like, like do you have a special phone now like a flip phone I'm imagining um um I do have a flip phone actually because I'm old school like that but um there was a bit of hanging out outside the lab sort of just being really fascinated like hanging out in graveyards and stuff but um no the, the actually um my degree show um when we go to art school and, and do kind of practice led courses like jewelry which is what I studied originally um we have a degree show we have physical pieces that we exhibit and um that's usually supposed to be a bit of a springboard for our career we exhibit that we take it to London we we get commissions and voila we're rich and famous um and uh yeah I I my whole degree show collection was stolen from pretty much the very first exhibition that I went to um so yeah I mean it was a bit I was young and naive and I didn't have proper kind of insurance and things but also the gallery exhibitors that I was working with were also um similarly inexperienced um so, you know, I'd love to say that that sort of set me off on this, like, right, okay, I really hold a grudge, so I'm going to, like, spend the next <laughs> gonna track decade. I'm going to those bastards. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, uh, you know, you can make a whole career out of spite. Um. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Like, I can barely read, and that's why I did literature. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, the there was an end of <laughs> Oh man. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I did. I did sort of start to engage with the police. I put in like a crime report. I was completely unimpressed by how you know they didn't take it seriously. They didn't care. But it was like four years of my life, all my work. It was tons of money, and I had nothing else to really show for my my degree show, really. Um, but I went back to uni and did a master's and I wasn't really sure why. <laughs> I think like a lot of people, I just kept studying, hoping someone would give me a job at some point. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> still kind of, yeah, yeah, still kind of hoping for that. But no, um, there was a project that I was sort of very serendipitously um, involved in through my master's that was actually working with the Forensic Science Centre, um, which ironically is like right beside the art school in Dundee and the two are just like next door which is pretty cool um so there's a lot of interdisciplinary work that already goes on there in forensic arts facial reconstruction they do some really cool methodological blends of like art science stuff um so yeah I started working on a project to create like a database for jewelry that's um recovered in mass fatalities so we were building a system that could help police officers, forensic scientists, um, you know, everybody really, families of the missing, um, try and describe and identify jewellery um, in a way that would hopefully help identify and repatriate their loved ones. So that was a complete, just by chance, really, I was in the right place at the right time, had a very serendipitous conversation actually about tattoos um that led to useful identification marker as well aren't they yeah totally well actually part of the project at the time they were building a tattoo database and Mm. I have no idea why but they came to me asking if I could help (laughs) 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 um and I'm like no I don't really I don't really like tattoos that much um I I like the natural natural look (laughs) um so, so yeah, I said, well, I'm interested in tattoos, but I couldn't tell you the first thing about like pigments or mm-hmm. how long ink stays in the skin or provenance of different inks and tattooing methods. But, um, but yeah, the kind of sister project of that was looking at jewellery. So, um, yeah, this kind of interdisciplinary project was born and um, that was sort of where my PhD light bulb went off and I thought, we're missing a trick here. There's like a whole... Mm. Subdiscipline of forensics and a whole subdiscipline of jewelry design actually that hasn't really been exploited or tapped into yet. So that's what I spent my PhD doing really was figuring oh it all God. out. What does it feel like to be actually interdisciplinary? <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, all interdisciplinary if we write enough funding applications. <laughs> like <laughs> the. Exp- the- the, the imposter syndrome is even more, um, even more wide. <laughs> okay, so it's just like a factor um, of however many disciplines you bring into it. Okay, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, you don't feel like in anywhere really. I suppose so. Cut my life into pieces. This is my research methodology. Uh, Louise, would you would you care to? Uh, were you saying speaking of discipline? Get back to the fucking podcast structure, Louise. Is that was that the? <laughs> A little bit, a little bit though. Okay, right. So, um, this is the kazoo of methodology, and the game is <laughs> name that tune, and in our heads, so it's not accurate. In our heads, it's definitely related to your research. So we want to know what the tune is, 
and why we might have chosen it. Okay. It's very serious. Okay. Oh, yeah. More. No, I want more. <laughs> well done yeah i suspect that's the pink panther indeed suspect choice of words yes (laughs) nice nice no that that's 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 tip top that was a good job that was a very nice uh, kazoo um i don't know what you call the easiest songs one one of the easiest that we have done (laughs) performance wise oh amazing Mm. no that was I, i appreciate that a lot um yeah, pink is actually my favourite colour, which is a strange colour for somebody who wears a heck of a lot of black. But yeah, I mean, come on, Avril Lavigne brought pink into the goth scene for us, and we were all feel thrilled for that. Right? Yeah, you got a feeling with the identification of Avril Lavigne as uh, as goth. I don't think she's she ever got there. Really. Miranda really being okay, scare, whatever. Yeah, I guess sorry. So, so yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's like 20 odd years old by the way that's i know oh my god shut up no um, no, okay, no you shut up um so why is the pink panther totally about your research um well i i didn't actually ever watch the pink panther when i was like younger i remember that the theme tune was something that like uh, yeah it's just one of those earworms that sort of like um yeah sticks in your head but um the and I hope I get this right, the Pink Jubilee was a very famous pink diamond. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of um, partly where they sort of stole that from. But I have to confess, this might be one of these bits you don't put in the podcast because I'm not sure if I know enough about the actual origins of the story. Um, I mean, to be honest, we, we just went for the, he's a jewel thief. Yeah, However, I have the Wikipedia page open, like any good academic. Oh, <laughs> so, um, no, I know it's it's definitely like the, the nickname for the diamond, I think, was the Pink Panther Diamond, yeah. but I'm sure it was like the, the Pink Jubilee was the original name, and um, it was a pretty big, pretty pink <laughs> diamond that I think was. Was it Australian or something? Um, I don't know. How am I doing with Wikipedia? Actually? Doing pretty good. I mean, you're actually you're adding more to the, than what Wikipedia has. Um, really? Uh, yeah, it's just telling. So it's like a you know a series of comedy mystery films featuring an inept French police detective. We are not saying that you are inept. Um, I want to make that no, very clear. No, I'm not. Uh, but... <laughs> maybe just sort of like imposter syndrome is different there. Um, and basically, yes, it all centers around the famous diamond known as the Pink Panther because of the floor at its center, which supposedly, when viewed closely, is said to resemble a leaping pink panther. Um, yeah. And yes, the jewel uh, kind of is a central element of six of the 11 films and one of the, the main plot points. Um, so there we go. Amazing. But I didn't know about the Jubilee. That's me, like, learning. Well, you know, who knows? I might be confusing. Like, there are many amazing pink fancy diamonds that come to market, and they're all the comparisons are always drawn with Pink Panther. Um, that might be more of a recent one. I'm just plucking from my sort of useless 
memory bank of diamonds and things because um there are a heck of a lot but but actually on the point of there being like a sort of panther image inside the stone and inclusion of some kind that's uh that's one of the things I absolutely love is that you've got this tiny minute little stone and then you know by the time you sort of look inside it it kind of expands to be this whole galaxy and um one of the things that make them really memorable for appraisers or geologists is the fact that these little flaws essentially the things that make these diamonds imperfect and they'd like decrease the value maybe um is the fact that these can look like images but you know you might get a clown's face you might get a panther you might get a cloud you might get I don't know a, a willy or something less <laughs> desirable but they can <laughs> They can be pretty pictorial and sometimes that's why people fall in love with them too because they're like little images that maybe remind people of pictures and things. I think if it was a case of like choosing, you know, if I I was in that position to choose a gigantic gem based upon what appears to me in the middle of it, I would probably go for the panther over the clown face or the dick. Like I'm not... (laughs) I mean, a a dick in a diamond is some like engagement statement really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I think there's probably a lot of women that can relate to like tiny pink willy um being like the sort of forever forever symbol of their relationship, right? <laughs> I'm not um I better my partner's gonna kill me for saying that. I'm not speaking uh about personal <laughs> personal experience, but just disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, I mean I can't comment on my partner's penis because she doesn't have one but Alex would you would you care to comment on your partner's no but thank you for the invitation um you know I I think diamond could also very much be a vagina um could appear I mean yeah it's a bit of a kind of clitoral thing isn't it Mm, like mm -hmm. a pink diamond I'm sure someone calls their well we don't want to hear about your piercings okay right um. <laughs> I mean, that would be more relevant, probably, to the conversation. Like, I think so, steering yeah, it back. Yeah. Have you <laughs> had to examine any like <laughs> clitoral piercings, like in the course of your job? Like, I thought you were going to say something else there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, is the answer. Either way. Uh... Mm. <laughs> um, well, piercings, funnily enough, um, I, I have a very good friend, also kind of academic, ex-academic, and all of her research was looking at body modifications, and she studied piercings as part of that. So whereas I would focus more on the the, the, the jewellery itself, mm-hmm. um, and piercings are less, they're less traceable, they, they don't tend to be made out of precious metals, or they're too small to have any significant hallmarks or um but they they can contain for example dna because um unlike a lot of other jewelry they're not just worn on the body they're worn through the body Mm -hmm. um you know they're so small that they've got all those lovely little nooks and cracks can gather the the gunk you know the, the 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 goop and the less desirable stuff that from a jeweler's perspective, all that stuff kind of clogs up and sits behind the stone and makes it less mm. vibrant and shiny. But actually, from a forensic perspective, that could be an excellent repository for mm. um, taking a sample or a, a DNA swab. Um, 
so 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 yeah like i i've i've come across everything from like ear piercings to um you know full blown diamond rings to pearl necklaces to you know actually some of the most special pieces are the ones that are really cheap and insignificant financially mm-hmm. um and and because they're usually quite emotional um and and people keep them for a different reason other than monetary worth so this takes us on to actually one of the questions that we have we have down which is what is the value of jewelry is that, is that something that comes up a lot in your work is this kind of I mean I guess perhaps discordance between monetary value versus personal value and if you're thinking about it in terms of identification processes is is something that is actually quote like worthless more useful to you in your work than say like a really expensive piece or something yeah yeah I mean I think there's this is the thing that's so wonderful I think the word value is really loaded anyway um especially in this context because yeah there's the obvious financial value big shiny diamond and uh precious metals and pearls and rubies um but the thing that really drew me to jewelry originally way back when and the thing that still fascinates me now is the fact that it it, it means so many different things to different people um you know it could have religious significance it's got personal or emotional or sentimental significance um a lot of the recent work i've been doing um is in the mediterranean basin and we've been looking at objects that are carried with refugees and uh, migrants who are journeying across borders so we see a lot of what we suspect are prayer beads or talisman or amulets so they're so loaded with value to you know one individual um what they sort of appreciate about an item is completely different from what somebody who you know brings their own kind of outward interpretation to bear on that object they've got no idea why it's valuable to the other person so yeah that that's what just I love so much about it is it just means so many different things to different people and we can all find our own value in in a piece whether it's expensive or or not shame right like a girl boss I have an actual serious question and um but sort of with your working Greece it is an actual serious question like does because you're working with objects in the sort of physical sense does it give more of a sort of grounding of the sort of scale of humanitarian crises like is there a sort of significant difference that you notice in your way of thinking because it is rooted in object as opposed to rooted on sort of news or, or that sort of perception of what's going on in the world yeah I, I i think that's a fab question um i mean in in general when i go to kind of something like a crime scene or a disaster it, it it, it sounds slightly disrespectful to say, but, you know, because we see so much death and disaster in programmes like CSI, that's kind of, um, you know, we're a bit detached from the realities of it. Um, you, you do feel a little, it's a bit surreal to see like a body lying on an autopsy table. And um, I'm kind of desensitised to that in a way. But when you see something like a, a, a photograph or a handwritten note, um, a piece of jewellery, a locket, maybe um, you know the, these. That's kind of what humanizes this otherwise really sort of abstract. You know, it, it just reminds you that these people are people. They're individuals. They've all got their personal stories. Um, 
And, you know, when I was doing my thesis, what I was really struck by was looking back at images from the likes of World War II um, and other big events during um, history whereby we see, like, usually these really individual personal items like wedding rings we see photographs of like hundreds or thousands of rings all in a basket Mm -hmm. and it's just like sort of the reduction of in human beings to numbers um that kind of dehumanization i think it's really embodied in an object because these are sort of people's stories and lives so yeah there's something quite i don't know what the right word is but you know at that tiny little micro scale um that that gives you a sense of how overwhelming and how massive the entire refugee crisis is um, because the more objects, we've got hundreds and hundreds of objects and every single one represents a life and a story. So, yeah, it, it, do, it does make it feel a little bit more overwhelming in a way. I am impressed at my serious question. Um, no, no, I think we had to fit it in somewhere, didn't we? Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> but is there does it sorry I am fascinated because does it go the other way because I remember like when I went to Auschwitz and although you can sort of zone in on sort of all the objects and, and sort of they all have a story but when you've just got so many when you just see the like specifically with Auschwitz when you just see like the number of say glasses or the number of shoes and that's only a fraction because destroyed a lot of the evidence like does it become a point where it's just too mind-boggling as well does it work the other way yeah i i think um with 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 concentration camps and auschwitz in particular um i i it's it's kind of a morbid curiosity you know i go there because i want to see these objects but yeah when they're kind of behind these glass um enclosures and they're in this sort of ghostly exhibition and actually you see all the identities co-mingled you know you see all the suitcases with names and addresses and they're all kind of um co-mingled together um behind this like very sort of stoic clinical exhibition it, it it's so it's so in contrast with just how personal these items are um and of course yeah there's like no jewellery in, in any of these sorts of showcases because, um, well, the, the Nazis took it all um, for financial reasons as well as as others. So a lot of gold was sort of shipped off and melted down. But but yeah, like these other objects like glasses, we, we can use glasses in forensics, for example, because they have individual prescriptions. Um, you know, we can use labels on clothing because they are highly traceable to manufacturers. And um, there's probably DNA, you know, in there as well that samples can be taken from. So even these historic objects have a sort of forensic evidential element. But um but yeah, when when you actually see those kind of um historical World War Two displays, it it's sadly it's not that dissimilar to what we might see in a contemporary disaster scenario because obviously we're gonna see um hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of items all kind of commingled and lots of identities um mass integrated so it's it's striking imagery but it's still it's still going on Mm -hmm. to to this day sadly i am does any of your work um because i'm not i've got no idea about this aspect of it but is um returning items in any way part of the kind of the more contemporary work that you're doing with this so 
um, you know, if you, if you find something, if you locate it, is part of the actual process, kind of jewelry repatriation, returning it to a family member or um, anything yeah. of that kind. Yeah, for sure. It's a huge part of the work. Um, I, I don't get to do so much of that at the moment, but the project that I'm working on in Greece at the moment, we're looking to identify primarily the objects so mm. that by extension, we can gain insights into the individual's identity. And by doing so, um, forensically confirm it is that individual, because of course, with something like jewellery, it's a placeholder for an identification yep. rather than a formal ID. Um, but then ideally by identifying the individual themselves, the very next and most important step really is to contact families, um, arrange for them to, to view the body or confirm identity and ultimately repatriate the individual, but also the jewellery and the objects. Um, so that's a big part of returning um, property to individuals after death and disaster. Um, and ironically, you, you sometimes see the, the craft practice process coming back in there because families can choose whether they want these items back um, and some will want the item as completely as as is um, you know I think there's an element of them knowing it accompanied their loved one through the most traumatic experience of their life but it was sort of it was their companion it was physically accompanied them through that experience mm. till the end so I'm always surprised by how many people actually want the item back in that state mm. but we do offer sometimes the option of repairing or restoring an item so there are jewelers watchmakers um you know all sorts of different craft practitioners mm. that often help reconstruct those pieces so it's a funny kind of cycle where we actually see traditional craft skills coming back in as part of forensic processes enforces structures of heteronormativity louise has kind of like a slightly because I'm, I'm i'm intrigued then by this capacity to sort of read an object um <clears throat> and kind of find these kind of trace narratives so i think louise has prepared um a series of of famous jewelry items again um, again so a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a tone shift yeah. Um, so, I emailed you four images. They are labeled Exhibit A, B, and D. And we're we're really interested in getting your expert opinions on these items. Um, and um, you know what we'd like to do you to do because obviously it's an oral medium is for you to describe them. Um, and tell us like what you'd be looking for if you were approaching these items and what do these items tell us about the associated disaster um okay so i'm just opening your email <laughs> this is the magic of editing um so uh okay so the, the labeling might not have worked out but exhibit a is the uh the Amberlynn necklace. Yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see labels, and I think the images might have jumped around a bit. I think the very first one I have is um, Lady Hale. Um, and we can talk about Lady Hale. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's the first image I'm seeing in her her infamous spider brooch. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, um, I can't remember the case she was presiding over, but it was the brooch that drew all the attention. Um, so it was it was all sorts of um, symbolic reading into the brooch because it was a, a sort of spider which was representative of, um, I don't know, she was some sort of witch or some cursed old lady or some bitter, resentful black widow of a woman that was going to kind of, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was somehow going to like creep into her um her fair judgment and um her impartiality so um so it was yeah. to do with brexit the case it was brexit was it i mm-hmm. i knew it was something political yeah. but i couldn't for the basically life of me remember boris johnson did a crim he did a crim um, <laughs> well, when does he not do crim <laughs> exactly what is it when does he not do that criminal behavior but i i think it was that she ruled that his like <clears throat> well, so I was going to say prologue, that's absolutely not it. Prorogue, the proroguing of Parliament during Brexit um, was deemed unlawful by Lady Hale. Um, yeah. And her spider. And her spider, and her spider. yeah. So no. what can spider brooches tell us about nationalism? <laughs> oh, oh no that's a deep academic question isn't it um <laughs> i'm probably supposed to say something about um you know sol- solitary nature of a spider you know weaving its web and how nationalism sort of forces us all into our kind of cloistered bubbles and um you know we we must be um we must open our borders and we must invite people in and um you know no good can come from being solitary and um but i don't know i'm quite a fan of spiders and um <laughs> I quite I quite I'm I'm very sort of uh I'm quite introverted I'm an only child I like my little web that I've woven for myself and um <laughs> unless I want to reel people in and like you know get them there on my terms then um they should stay the fuck away from my web <laughs> excellent a very very sharp analysis there yes yeah, so spider brooch right. kind of a comment on hostile environment policy right okay cool Ooh, yeah. <laughs> why not why not <laughs> um okay what, what's next you in your, your email yeah. excellent bullshit um, oh no, me headless. too. Me too. Um, well, I'm not. Um, I'm not a jewelry historian, so these these are quite interesting, even for me, because um, I don't I don't necessarily know the histories of the pieces, and the analysis is definitely way off, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, so, what what do you have next? Um, what do I have next? Um, I have, I think, Anne Boleyn um, mm-hmm. and her 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 bee necklace. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this this one's a, a I think um the, the, the paintings in in some sort of national portrait gallery still, but um the actual necklace I don't know if that's still I don't know if it if we have it is it in a museum I'm not sure. Um, it's in a museum. I, I, I mean, I, I blooming well hope it is, but um yeah no I mean this this is a really famous. You, you can get it on on Etsy. You can get it on Etsy, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um oh, whereabouts is unknown but, yeah. okay so here we go this is this is some forensic stuff happening right now surely <laughs> well this is actually as a good parallel to forensics you know if we see like a, a famous designer piece that we we think oh yeah it's chanel or oh that's a, a rolex or that's definitely louis vuitton then you know the, the more popular a piece especially if it's designer the more clones the more fakes the more we see it sort of produced and manufactured in different countries so if yeah if you like 
pop in sort of Anne Boleyn B necklace into Google, you will see probably like pages on eBay and Etsy and, and all sorts mm-hmm. of kind of knockoffs and things. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the OG, um, it, I know it was one of her favorite pieces of jewelry and she's, she's, you know, it's featured in a lot of paintings of her, but, um, but yeah, I'm not sure what happened to the actual jewel actually. I suspect. According to Google, it was lost to yeah, history. Yeah, let's check Google. <laughs> um, so the, the, we don't know what happens. What like a big mystery of sort of jewelry mm. stuff. But like, Ooh. if you were sort of like the moonstone to analyze that, yeah, <laughs> moonstone. Um, like the the curry noir shouldn't be ours. Well, um, <laughs> and um, what was I saying? Yeah. yeah, what sort of things? If you if you were faced with finding a that necklace somewhere like in one of your cases that, like, yeah i mean that, i feel be... like that if you were fa- <laughs> is that a complete misunderstanding of what forensic jewelry is like um yes it is no, but, but like, like how would you approach <laughs> how would you approach a necklace like that like if you find something yeah, like, if, like if you had for example okay if you found the berlin necklace how what what would the no, forensic approach be to that yeah. No, I mean it is and it isn't. Like I say, there's there's there are times where I think even the police, if they call me up with a piece of jewellery in mind and, and there's there's this sort of interpretation that I'm some kind of jewellery psychic and I'm gonna go, Ooh, <laughs> yes, it belonged to so and so, it's this old and it's that old and but you know, like a professional jewellery appraisers would be able to sort of date it and, and make sort of, you know, these these educated guesses, but they would also study it. The physical object is very important. It's very difficult to do any of this kind of analysis with photographs. Um but yeah, the baseline level, we know it's personal. Um the, the letter is of some significance, right? It's an initial, um, it definitely stands for something. Bad-ass so bitch. Um, yeah yeah damn straight damn straight (laughs) um so you know in this case we know enough about it to know that it you know I I think it was part of a set she had um Mm -hmm. earrings or a brooch or something as well and they were they were initials they were her initials but we would also have to be very careful about that in real forensic cases because it might be um for, for starters, we have different alphabets. So one initial mm. in one alphabet might not be the same in another. Mm. Um, Jewellery is very interchangeable between people as well. So, you know, it might be the initial of a person who gifted it or who stole mm. it. Um, mm. As with the case with like Chanel and Gucci, they're initialed pieces too, but they don't stand for the person. It's, it's the company. It's the designer <laughs> brand. So, mm. um but I mean, you know, these these are very like kind of t- typical of the time. Really, personalized jewelry was was quite popular, and people were quite um, yeah, they 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 like to show off a little. So like you know, initialing things and um, making kind of bold statements about themselves, their importance, their status, their power was pretty popular. So. Um, so yeah, but we could analyze and test the actual materials. If we had the physical object, there are so many more possibilities that, that open up to us than if we just look at an image, say. So yeah. So if you found the next exhibit in your email, how would you approach that one? Oh well, my Elvish is limited, um, unfortunately. <laughs> what is the point? But, um well, the third image I have is the one true ring um, mm. from from Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power. 
um, which I actually have a replica of at home um, <laughs> um, in a little box. Um, so, yeah, like it's uh, we've got our uh, elfish scripts um, around the outside of the ring, which, if my memory serves me, only appears when subjected to fire and extreme temperatures. Is that um, a test that you do in the lab? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we use the Lord of the Rings like, pretty much all the time. That's my favourite. <laughs> The LOTR technique, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seems legit. Like, I mean, to be to be fair, at this point, you could just tell us anything, and we'd be like, "Oh yeah," because it's basically oh, yeah. science, and we don't get it. I mean, particularly <laughs> with a, with an acronym like that, that sounds particularly legitimate. An LOTR. It does. If you abbreviate right. anything down to like a few mm-hmm. letters and initials, it sounds perfectly mm-hmm. scientific. So, the yeah. um, UNT process, I yeah. <laughs> But there's uh there's there's no there's definitely a, a cool kind of forensic metaphor in here too because um yeah well uh, with with this it's um a pretty typical nondescript you know yellow metal band which you know is representative of lots of different like wedding wedding rings wedding bands it's very difficult to tell them apart usually um but obviously in this case this one's highly personalized it's got a secret code that unless the viewer either stumbles upon it um, and kind of reveals it without, you know, um, by, by accident, um, or they know what they're looking for, um, then, then yeah, there is information there that tells us what the piece is, why it's special, who it belonged to, the provenance, the history. Um, but you either need to know what you're looking for or, yeah, you, 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 it's a happy accident. Um, and that happens a lot in forensics too. Um, happy accidents, um, especially with jewellery. Um, police often don't know what to look for, so they either stumble upon a serial number, number or a hallmark by accident. Mm. Um, or, yeah, it takes that kind of keen eye to know that that information is there and just to look closer. So that's quite a good metaphor, actually, for... Um, oh, my God, yeah, Louise, totally we did a good planned. one. <laughs> so well thought in plans so that you could you could really go to town on the forensics. It was t- a totally yeah. We we're like you yeah, know what I like that one. Yeah. And the, the final exhibit, the final probably the one the one that I think is the most interesting and the most kind of I think associated iconic. with the greatest crime. Yeah. Um, well, the, the 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 image is of course um, the heart of the ocean um, from. Uh, <laughs> James Cameron's Titanic, which is is really cool actually, because this is one of the first uh, the first times I remember like piece of jewelry like really heavily featuring in a movie and being like really kind of um, just dead excited about it, and then actually going and kind of googling and looking up the history and being like, wow, why why would she why would the old lady drop it into the ocean in the end? You know, it's like, <laughs> to reference Britney Spears, like I mean, come on, Britney Britney was on it. No, it's it's like crazy. Um, but yeah, it's it's modelled on the on the Hope Diamond, which was a very real piece of jewellery. Um, and uh, yeah, that was I think that was Louis the something. I can't remember which Louis, but um, yeah, that was an incredibly uh, incredibly special piece of jewellery that was representative of the monarchy at the time and um, was passed through various different hands. And um, yeah, I think. Um, was supposed to be cursed, I believe, um, and certainly has a history of um, leaving a trail of kind of mystery and um, 
potentially death. Um, and actually, I think in even the Titanic movie, the sort of replica, um, Hope Diamond, Heart of the Ocean, I think there was sort of, this might be like, this is really into the gossip territory now, but I'm sure they <laughs> had some accidents. Or, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I think they had a- different actors or um, people on set had reported strange goings on. And I'm sure... It was probably a Reddit blog I read about 10 years ago that's just stuck with me. I mean, to be honest, as long as I enjoy the information, I will believe it's true. Like, you know, my personal enjoyment is how I assess it. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. No, I mean, there was definitely like a curse of some kind associated with the real Hope Diamond. But Mm -hmm. then, yeah, I'm sure I remember reportings of like... But, but again, I think when even when I was saying earlier, the current research in Greece, you know, we we find a lot of what we suspect are amulets and talisman and um, real kind of religious and cultural objects that are brought with um, migrants and refugees from Iran, Syria, Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, we know they contain something. Usually they're kind of um, little pouches or, or modern you know, lockets of some kind that are sewn or stitched up. And we, we suspect they have a parchment or a piece of paper or a message or a prayer of some kind inside them, which could contain evidential value. Of course, it might lead us straight to the identities mm-hmm. of the individuals. But at the same time, it's really important for us to research these items properly because on the most part, a lot of them are either containing some sort of protective spell or potentially a curse or a prayer that if we tamper with, if we open, if we unravel, um, yeah, depending on the belief system of the culture, um, we could be damning their soul for all eternity or we could be kind of denying them that safe passage to the afterlife. Um, And then in terms of returning those items potentially to families, you know, you might be giving the family worse news because, mm-hmm. you you know, their loved one is now not protected. So, again, kind of extrapolating really loosely, like, curses placed upon objects or prayers or protective spells placed upon objects, there is still some kind of contemporary relevance in there, um, in forensics, for sure. So, hmm. Um, yeah, no, that is really interesting. I, I, I'm currently... Uh googling madly but i can't find anything about the 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 haunted titanic ghosts which i'm definitely going to be avoiding my marking by uh i'm wondering (laughs) if you're just if you're typing titanic i'm not i don't know if that's uh, um, titanic ghosts you've got to go very a very different route there yeah We've once again forgotten, forgotten to do a really vital part of the podcast. I mean, when you say forgotten, I think it's because the flow of conversation was just so good and natural and interesting that we forgot that we have a structure. Could you give us your academic Tinder bio and then we will discuss whether we'd swipe left or right? <laughs> um, I can't even remember. What did I, what did I send you? Uh, I sent you something the other day and that's terrible when you can't remember your own Tinder bio. Um, do I just have to like read it out in a sort yeah, of like just, that, just tell us what it is yes, and yes. then we'll enter it as if it's been really smoothly done okay so yeah. I am a doctor of design and death and I'm partial to 
oh no no it doesn't rhyme if I do it that way I had to do it the other way around because I wanted to make it rhyme shit <laughs> ah, okay okay <laughs> I'm a, I'm a doctor of death and design, partial to a little bit of crime and a little bit of wine. Nice. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, 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 I'm a resident poetry expert. Enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, um, of course. That's your poetry test. So, or... so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already won over. Love a, love a cheeky little rhyme. Wonderful. I also enjoy <laughs> wine, so that's good. Yeah. Um, well, I don't drink, so... Maybe I enjoyed the crime. Yeah, maybe. Ooh. I don't know. I don't you know. are a thought criminal. Yeah, so that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> I have a question about crime in terms of jewelry. Like, I know we have like basically two minutes left and I want to get this in before you have to go. Um, which is why is jewelry so often at the center of sort of like certain like crime networks or like very famous, I don't know, mm. instances. I'm not thinking of Ocean's 8 because that was a trash film and I would, would enjoy your professional opinion on it, but um what are the motivations for jewelry crime beyond the fact that it's shiny like why is it such a kind of a, a center point of of your kind of like criminal investigations is jewelry kind of one of the big things yeah i mean i think um i think for forensically um a lot of people wear it it's it's incredibly ubiquitous so we find a lot of jewelry so it's 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 really it's always there so we can study it um criminal investigations i think there are different motivations and um, attractions you know behind I mean we have reasons why criminals are attracted to it jewelry firstly is very small it's very portable it's um legal to own for one you know it's not <laughs> legal to carry around um huge amounts of cash or drugs um or guns but you know loads and loads of diamonds there's yeah that I mean that might be a little bit suspicious but it's perfectly legal um, so it's a really small and easy way to sort of transport wealth portably across borders. Um, so we're seeing it, um, the FBI categorise it as a gateway crime because it generally is used by terrorists and large criminal organisations um, and they're usually bound up in all sorts of other criminal activity. So it either leads to other crimes or it is it connected to other crime types okay so you tried to tell me that the one moment when i was 15 and i stole a pair of earrings from claire's accessories is now going to lead me down a life of like international super sleuth three and possibly you know all the way up to the more extreme ends of the crime spectrum i can't believe you nicked from claire's i know i know <laughs> i was that's my like bible like um yeah, that's it's blasphemy, absolute blasphemy. That's where I spent all my time. It's really wonderful. You would have appreciated this. They were little skull and crossbone earrings. They were cool. No, <laughs> I have one final, final, final question, which is really important. Which is, in your professional opinion, from your professional experience, do well-to-do aristocrats genuinely clutch their pearls when they're shocked? Mm. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I reckon so. I haven't met personally many well-to-do aristocrats, but um, uh, I mean, I certainly, I, I have a string of pearls. Well, mine, the ones I'm wearing are tattooed on me and um, so that's slightly different but when I'm anxious I mm. I'm definitely clutching sort of my chest and my neck and, and <laughs> you know trying to gasp for for air so um so yeah I think there's a modern day equivalent but um I see it in the films does that count I've seen it in I don't know many aristocrats so <laughs> <laughs> I mean sounds legit to me yeah, 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 yeah. why not let's say yes let's yeah, say yes sure <laughs> um Awesome. Well, I think this is the, obviously the basis for a next um, huge grant project is um, aristocracy and cu- pearl clutching. Well, so, yeah, I mean, if you want to do a I'm a Victorianist and there's plenty of that that go on. So, you know, it's a possible collab there. Um, right. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we like to ask people before we go um, whether you have anything, obviously you've got your kind of current projects that are going on, but anything you'd like to plug, um, anything that people should be looking at um that you've been doing um nothing I don't think there's anything to plug per se um yeah the the current project I'm working on in Greece is called identifying the displaced um and we we're very soon we're going to be launching a, a website database containing all of these different artifacts um in the first instance it's going to be behind a password protected sort of area for obvious reasons, but we're going to be inviting different experts um, to to help contribute investigative insights um, and hopefully shed some light on the identities of the objects that can help us trace the identities of the individuals. So we we really are going to need all kinds of expertise from um, material culture specialists, art historians, um, jewellery appraisers and gemologists, right through to social scientists, um, through to, you know, professional photographers, migration scholars, um, oceanographers. disciplinary, oh my God. Yeah, (laughs) there's no poetry experts, Alex. Well, I don't hear poetry in there. Mm. You never know. Forensic poetry was the subject of a conference I went to in The Hague a good few years ago. Um, And we do have forensic so um but we've got lots of items that have script and text and handwriting so we're going to need everyone from translators to language experts and you know poets religious scholars everybody that can basically there's always going to be a role for somebody because not one person knows everything as as you'll have heard from my (laughs) my contribution to this podcast um and jewelry is such a vast field so we yeah, it's, it's a call for help, really, when the project is launched. Um, we would be really grateful for anyone who wants to kind of register for an account and sign up and help, try and help support the project. So, yeah. Awesome. That's, that's so cool. We've been Long My Praxis. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, a five-star output deserves five-star reviews. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother, Faye. You can get in touch with us by emailing lawmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at lawmypraxis. Remember to tell your friends with apologies for a cross-posting. Bye!